I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detlaff, and I am your head of household for the week. And I'm Matt Bernico. I'm I got I'm the have-nots over here. <laughs> I'm eating the slop. That's right, folks. <laughs> uh, Big Brother Canada is back. Uh, it premiered this week, and it's all we can think about. It's it's eating up our whole all of our DMs. <laughs> we got uh the regular dm going we have a dm with our, our our partners and listen big brother canada is a special tv show and i love <laughs> it so much there are there are a few greater bonds of solidarity uh, <laughs> beyond watching big brother canada together holy crap regular i like regular big brother too uh when, when i say regular i mean um, united states big brother <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't want to be too imperialist here but <laughs> but but Canadian Big Brother is so good because everyone is better, less yeah. racist, and also the um, production value on the show is extremely high, and that is something form. that I love. Yep, I agree. Uh, so if you really want to get in the Magnificast good graces, um, you can you can start watching Big Brother Canada from the ground up this year. You can get in on it early. You can join our group DMs and everything. I guess <laughs> we will um, start a Magnificast. Christian Marxist Big Brother Canada group DM, and you can be a part of it. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here. Uh, all right. Uh, this is not a Big Brother Canada podcast yet. Uh, it we're could still be, doing though. Christianity, <laughs> Christianity leftist politics thing. Uh, and specifically this week, we're going to talk about Ernesto Cardinal. It might seem kind of weird. Um, we did just talk about him a few weeks ago, but he died on March 1st at 95 years old we'll say a lot more about it shortly but we just thought he's a really important character and somebody who's become more and more meaningful to us um since doing this podcast really and uh we're gonna spend some time talking about him just like we did when paul virilio passed away he's just one of those big important people who's really shaped how we think um uh, before we do that though matt um you've got a red eye here that's right uh sorry to break the mood of uh, a very somber and respectful podcast uh about our favorite christian left hero with something from reddit but i'm gonna do it anyways because it's it's part of it it's all part of it here um it's all part okay. of it uh yeah this is uh from reddit.com slash r slash christianity it was posted one day ago and it's a pressing question for you dean um okay, okay. The title here is Gods. That's it. Um, right. So the user writes, so I was watching a Bible project video. I don't know what that is, but it's not okay. important. About the Divine <laughs> Council. Everyone knows about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it left me wondering, is the Bible referencing the gods and goddesses of Egypt, Roman, and Greece as evil celestial beings who want to be God? So, Dean, what do you think about that? Is um, is the Bible referencing them, other gods, who are evil celestial beings, or not? What do you? Th what's mm -hmm. your take about the the sort of history of religion uh, uh, here? 
Yeah, of Egypt, Roman, and Greece. I think uh, it must <laughs> the three, be... The three countries that definitely exist. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've all seen the Bible Project videos, and this is something that has come up a lot for me, too, uh, as I watch them, thinking about the Divine Council. I guess... Uh, hmm, I think in, in ancient times, uh, in ancient Bible times, when they would say gods, uh, people don't know, but um, we have a tendency to see the ancient world as so far removed, and I think they really used gods the way that we do to speak about things like rock gods and just, you know, the gods of sports. They're just uh, <laughs> extremely powerful people that you want to be like. Uh, I think that's what it's referring to. That could be. Um, yeah, I mean, we all know about the Egypt, Roman, and Greece evil celestial beings who want to be God, but who are the evil celestial beings in our own society that want to be God? That's the bigger yeah, question mm-hmm. for me. It is. It is. Who are the Egypt, Roman, and Greece gods of our own time? <laughs> Man. Well, we just might never know. We might not. This is one of the questions for the philosophers to think about. Maybe not us. <laughs> People with degrees in philosophy, I don't know if we can answer this. The other philosophers, it's though, unfortunate, they can do it. I, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, um, we've got degrees that should make us qualified to do that. Uh, so it, it's the thing is, this is a question for Bible scholars. And that's oh, that's us. right. That's true. That's not us. The Bible scholars could tell us about the evil celestial beings. Um, truth be told, I picked this question because I just wanted to say evil celestial beings a lot. And yeah, I'm yeah, loving it so far. It's uh, really enjoyable. It's and... a hard one to say. I haven't said it once, and I don't think I'm going to, because <laughs> I was born in rural Michigan, and I don't know if people who listen to this podcast know, but I can't say half the words that I try to say. So oh, no. I'm definitely, I'm not, I mean, like, they just mumble out of my mouth. Like, mm. I can't, you know, there's too many s's in, in what you're saying. I think I shouldn't even, shouldn't give that one a shot. Yeah, the thing about evil celestial beings is that they do uh, make regional accents that make it hard to say their own names. So something <laughs> exactly, there. exactly. Yeah, if I was born in Roman, then maybe I could say. <laughs> uh, <I wasn't>. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If you were born in Roman, it would be less of a problem. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, um, that was a great upper. Let me introduce a downer, because uh, that's what this podcast is like. Just ups and downs, mood swings galore. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's so much to say about Ernesto Cardinal, and they want to get us there, um, because he is a hero of ours, like we said. Uh, so Ernesto Cardinal died March 1st, um, 95 years old. Like I said, we just talked about him on the poetry arc, but he's someone worth kind of sending him off, I think, um, in a real way on, on the podcast. Uh, so we've talked about Cardinal two other times besides the poetry arc. He's shown up a couple of times. The first was all the way back in episode 40, which feels like forever ago now, uh, when we did a Christmas show themed around the book, The Gospel and Solentaname. Um, that is a collection of uh, conversations that uh, Cardinal had that he recorded with um, different people in the community of Salentaname uh, reading the Bible together. So that was one. And then the other was in an episode uh, 101 when we talked about Pope Francis restoring Cardinal as a full priest in the Catholic Church, which uh, is something that was taken away from him by Pope John Paul II in 1984. So we kind of talked about like what's going on there. Why does it matter? Why is it a big deal? Um, so we've done this kind of brief bio on Cardinal before, and you've probably heard some of it, uh, maybe even just recently, but we did our best to sort of pull it all together for this one. Um, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you. And then, uh, when you're sick of, uh, telling Cardinal's story, you can send it back to me. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's fine to rehash things because listen, you probably don't remember this. At least I don't think you do unless you're taking notes on what we say, which would be. I don't know. Pretty, pretty bizarre. So here is uh, Cardinal's life in a nutshell. Uh, Yeah, Ernesto Cardinal. He was born in Granada in 1925. He spent most of the 1940s traveling around to Mexico, the U.S., and throughout Europe. In 1950, he came back to Nicaragua, and four years later, he was part of a failed coup against the Somoza dictatorship. Um, After it failed, he moved to Kentucky and lived in the same Trappist monastery with Thomas Merton in 1957. And that was just a huge deal for him. Um, He was trying to decide whether or not he wanted to be a monk or if he should be a priest. And Thomas Merton was extremely influential on uh, Ernesto Cardinal. So um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, If you're interested in that, particularly um, uh, the Christians of the Nicaraguan Revolution book is for you. But we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, a couple years later, he went on to study theology in Mexico to become a priest, and eventually he went back to Nicaragua, 
where he uh, ended up being ordained in 1965. Uh, he became the priest of Solentaname, which is a chain of islands in Nicaragua. He was the leader of a you know, radical arts commune community and also worked with leftists to uh, foment a revolution, like foment revolutionary energy while he was serving as a priest. His brother, Fernando, who was a Jesuit priest, um, so two priests, there we go, uh, these two priesty boys, uh, was also part of the Solentaname crew. They were all there together. So um, after, you know, being in Solentaname and starting this whole thing, he uh, went to Cuba in 1970 and in 1971. Um, you can read about that in a book called In Cuba. Um, but that trip was really influential. Uh, the trip itself, seeing Cuba's, Cuban society, um, says you know he says that that's what made him a revolutionary. Um, after Cuba in 1977, his community in Solentaname was brutally attacked and he fled to Costa Rica. Um, after the success of the Sandinista Revolution, he was named the Minister of Culture in the Revolutionary Government, and three other priests, including Fernando, also took up posts in the government, which is what got uh, JP2 just so dang pissed at these at these good priest boys. Um, so there's a lot going on there and a lot left out for sure, too, but his life is a wild one. Um, it's one that is, uh, man, very exciting. Would definitely watch it in a movie. <laughs> yeah, same. The Ernesto Cardinal biopic definitely needs to be made. Uh, as the Minister of Culture, um, Ernesto Cardinal also did a lot of really fascinating things. So post-revolution, um, he taught poetry workshops across the country, which were really fascinating. We've talked about those in the past. And he encouraged people to explore other kinds of art forms. He was also a sculptor and a painter. And he saw all that as part of the revolutionary project. So it wasn't just a matter of getting all the material stuff sorted out. Uh, the revolution should give opportunities for people to express themselves differently um, artistically and spiritually. And he also wrote a ton of poems himself over the years. Uh, and that's like before the revolution, during and, and afterwards. You can really kind of see his poetry dealing with those different phases of life. Toward the end of his life, he was doing a lot of poetizing on science and religion and politics all at once. So if you want to read poems about the divine force of love and being a revolutionary and quantum physics all at the same time, uh, you know where to go. Um, some poems are literally just those three things all put in a big blender. Um, Cardinal has been mourned throughout the world and in Latin America in particular. He's kind of a he's a hero of the the continent, even as a an artistic person. So not just as a revolutionary, but as an artist of the region. In Nicaragua, the government declared three days of mourning throughout the country, which is a pretty big deal because Cardinal has been a critic of the present Sandinista government under Ortega. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There was a big falling out uh, many years ago, and uh, yeah, Cardinal has been a, something of a dissident voice, even though still a, a leftist. Um, so it's it's significant that the government still declared those days of mourning. Uh, communist papers and publications have been celebrating him, and since the Magnificast is all about communism and Christianity, we decided that we should celebrate him too. So one book that we haven't talked about on the show before is a book called Christians in the Nicaraguan Revolution that Matt just mentioned. Um, it's a book of interviews done by the journalist Margaret Randall. She did a ton of other books of interviews like this. Um, she did some work with women in Nicaragua and interviews with people in Cuba. Really great journalist. Um, but in this book, she talks with Cardinal and some of the members of the Solentaname community in 1983, which is a few years after the revolution ousted uh, Somoza, the dictator um, of Nicaragua in 1979. So that year is pretty significant, 83, um, not only because it's uh, uh, so close to the revolutionary success, but it's also a year before he has his, uh, Cardinal has his priestly duties uh, suspended. Um, so we read that book for this episode, and we each pulled out a few things about Cardinal that we think make him especially important for Christians and leftists. So that's how we're going to spend this episode, just kind of reflecting on his legacy and why he's a big deal and why you should know about him and why you should never get sick of hearing about him. <laughs> that's right. Well, before we get uh, too far into it, let me make one big meta point about this book and like why I think it's so cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you've been listening to the Magnificast, if you've heard the other uh, Cardinal episodes, um, you know, you've heard about the Gospel in Solentaname, you've heard about a lot of his uh, like poet, like poetry, and, um, you know, w w what's cool about those books is that some, like, characters emerge from them, 
like uh, in the Gospel in Santaname, there's like Loriano and there's, you know, um, Elvis and there's Donald and all these kinds of like, <laughs> I don't know, um, these folks from Santaname who um, have like a lot of character in, in, uh, in, in these books and in these poems. And uh, this book, Christians in the Nicaraguan Revolution, is really cool because uh, you actually get to read, um, you know, interviews with these people after after the fact, after Solentaname is kind of like over for the most part and the revolution's over. So anyways, all I'm trying to say here is that this is like Christians in the Nicaraguan Revolution is like the keystone of like a Nicaraguan socialist Christian text that holds it all together. It's uh, <laughs> it's the uh, the trilogy in the uh, in the in the. Uh, uh cardinal cinematic universe or something so um anyways i think it's a really important book if you're interested in this like particular time period and uh this topic so um it brings it all together you get to hear you know like what happens to donald and elvis and like where are you know their bodies found and that kind of stuff so it's wild yeah Um, and you can find it on uh, archive.org it's worth mentioning for free important yeah otherwise you can't buy it on amazon or whatever it's old not a print um (laughs) archive.org though or maybe from your library who knows um, okay, cool. Well, before we get into that book, particularly, let's talk about how folks are remembering Cardinal. Um, so let's see. I think I first, um, you know, there are some some popular uh, United States uh, press pieces about them, but we'll skip right over those because bourgeois press. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> and let's let's read it for, straight from the communist mouth. Um, right after his death, um, Granma, the uh, the paper of the Cuban Communist Party um, published a, a handful of uh, things about Cardinal's life and his death. Um, and uh, one thing that kind of sticks out is uh, a quote they had uh, uh, from Cardinal about his time in Cuba that I thought was pretty good um, and interesting and kind of gives you some, like, I don't know, broader context for uh, the the way that, like, uh, you know, Cardinal is sort of shaped by the Cuban Revolution, but also Cardinal himself. So uh, here's a quote from Ernesto Cardinal in Granma, kind of remembering his life. Um, So Cardinal says, My experience in Cuba became something fundamental for me. It has been the most important experience of my life after my religious conversion. It was, in reality, a conversion to the revolution. Before, I believed that we should look for a third way in Latin America. But in Cuba, I found that the way was theirs, and that the revolution was very good, and that there was a duty to support it. (laughs) <laughs> so i mean there's nothing like groundbreaking here but this uh this reflection here is pretty good it tells you uh how important cuba was to not only latin america but also to ernesto cardinal it was this turning point in his life uh towards socialism uh not not was he he wasn't just sort of like a a radical priest uh but he becomes kind of converted to the cause of uh socialism and uh yeah, I mean, a lot of other stuff happens here, too, where Cardinal kind of, like, becomes persuaded that, um, you know, maybe violence sometimes is a, um, is a uh, you know, okay for revolutionary struggle and that kind of thing, too. So Cuba was a big deal for his life, and this is um, this is the, uh, the blurb that Cuba is using to remember Cardinal and his importance to them. Yeah, it's really interesting to pull that out, too, because, so, he visited Cuba in 1970 and 71, He's born in 1925, so he's like almost 50 years old at this point when he has this extremely um, revelatory moment or whatever. And that, to me, is always just a standout thing about Cardinal. I mean, he was a radical for a lot of his life, no doubt about that, but um, he really becomes a a revolutionary, you know, when he's well into his adulthood. Um, I think that's just a really kind of amazing thing. Like he was an older person in the revolution uh, and for him to have that sort of political awakening in Cuba and to move beyond that third way thing into a revolutionary position is just impressive. Yeah. I mean, on that same note, he, um, he wasn't a priest until pretty late in life as well. I think he was 40 when he um, actually became a priest. So um, gives me a little bit of hope. (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe I'll do something important in my life still. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So we pulled out a few themes from this book, uh, Christians in the Nicaraguan Revolution, and some quotes to kind of get us talking about them. And that'll maybe just give us an excuse to riff a little bit and talk about um, Cardinal's importance. So the first theme I want to get on the table here is Cardinal offers us uh, what you could call a revolutionary interpretation of Christianity. So he's a Christian working with Christian materials, really trying to think about what it means for him to be a priest and all that kind of thing. But he is doing that in light of the participation in a revolution and especially in these interviews with the the success of that revolution in hindsight. So uh, here's one thing that he says here. 
You should take note that Sandino, Sandino is the uh, Nicaraguan revolutionary from the 20s, from which the Sandinistas get their name. Sandino says somewhere that the final judgment is not going to happen after death. It will take place on Earth, when there are no more exploiters. And we, without reading that text of Sandino, we discovered, reading the book of Revelation, that it's clear that it doesn't refer to the end of the world. Destruction with a neutron bomb or something like that. It's the end of the unjust society and the beginning of the new society. In the Gospel in Salantaname, Loriana says, I'm 21. I want this new kingdom to happen soon. I don't just want me to see it. I want it to happen in two years. Uh, and he goes on to talk about how uh, before his religious religious conversion, as he describes it, he had like a pretty, um, I don't know, average idea of God. He says, if you were to ask me who God is, I would simply say that he's someone with whom I communicate, someone that I get along with. Uh, and then he goes on to say he has kind of a more like mystical idea of God now. And I think that's one thing that is just of persisting importance that Ernesto Cardinal opens up is... Uh, the kind of interpretive freedom to revisit the biblical text and also Christian tradition with your eye on what would it mean to change my material situation? How would that change the way that I read this text? And uh, what? how would it change the way that this te text reads me or suggests things to me? Um, and at least for me, like reading the Gospel in Salantaname for the first time was really an eye-opening thing. Uh, just something that gives you permission to uh, get playful with those kinds of texts and figure out what they might say. Yeah, it's a really good connection, um, because in the Gospel in Solentaname, he's like, I mean, the Gospel in Solentaname is an interesting book, because if you're looking for like, like hot, juicy quotes from Ernesto Cardinal, you're not going to really find them. Um, and instead, you're going to find like a lot of hot, juicy quotes from like uh, peasants and farmers in Nicaragua. Right. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, he's they're, they're doing, you know, just what you said, they're like revisiting these texts that, you know, they've probably grown up reading uh or you know and studying in the bible or whatever and they're like well you know they're revisiting like the story of mary and like what the magnificat means or what it what it means for jesus to be tempted in the desert or something and they're like you know well mary's a communist and the devil's an individualist capitalist or something and <laughs> like these different <laughs> uh these different funny takes on the bible yeah that's right um there's also a lot of interesting things in this book about how cardinal uh, reinterpreted different liturgical practices and things mm -hmm. like that too. Like, uh, and even uh, there's some stories he tells of like baptizing people in the sink in the kitchen or something because that's like all they have and they want to have that sacrament and it's very important to them, which is like a pretty big scandal <laughs> to traditionalist Catholics. Um, but what I love about Ernesto Cardinals is like, well, this is how Catholicism looks like in a revolutionary situation. Like, if you still want to have it, then you got to work with what you've got. And I feel so, uh, I don't know, just kind of, um, I feel lighter when I read Cardinal talk about what it means to be a Christian, because it's kind of like, well, uh, it's extremely important to him, obviously, but it's important because it uh, can really activate things inside of you. Like, it's not just instrumentalized for the revolution. He really does believe that, like, there's something revolutionary about it, and you shouldn't get too worked up about, I don't know, reproducing the kind of conservative Catholicism of the past or something. Yeah. Um, part of the book um, that we're not really spending much time talking about is uh, in, in the very sort of first few pages, um, the, the book focuses on Ernesto Cardinal's time in Gethsemane um, in Kentucky with Thomas Merton. And I think some of that sort of like lightness or like sort of playfulness with tradition does come from Thomas Merton in some sentences too. Um, when, uh, so what's wild, I guess, kind of illuminated to me now that I've read this book is that uh, Solentaname, it, you know, it wasn't going to be in Solentaname at first. It was going to be in this other place. And Thomas Merton was like sort of like the energy behind a lot of it. Um, it you know, Ernesto Cardinal thought he wanted to be a monk. And Thomas Merton is like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a monk. You could go and <laughs> do something else. So he convinces <laughs> him just to be a priest instead and that they're going to go start this like radical community in uh, Latin America or whatever. And Thomas Merton is, like, really um, pretty, like, adamant that, like, you know, that they're not going to wear a habit there. They're going to wear different types of clothes and they're going to, like, you know, have these sort of, like, reformed sort of uh, experiences. So I think there's um, some, some, of the, some of the background there with Merton is kind of interesting, too, because, um, you know, that's what Thomas Merton's sort of, like, 
project here that Thomas Merton doesn't end up getting to uh, follow through with in any sense uh, ends up getting, you know, this p- plays out in Ernesto Cardinal's life in this really wild way that I'm sure Thomas Merton was probably not thrilled about in some, sometimes at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. There's a lot of, there's a whole um, exchange of letters between them. That's been published by the way, if people are interested in that, it's pretty recent. Um, and it is fun to look through. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. That connection is true. Uh, Thomas Merton also has a kind of interesting, playful relationship to the tradition, and that no doubt uh, rubs off on Ernesto Cardinal. Uh, it'd be interesting to learn more maybe about where they diverge on the kind of revolutionary interpretations of the Bible. Um, but yeah, like what's wild about Cardinal is he is somebody who's so capable of mixing together forms of ideology or sources that you might think shouldn't go together but in cardinal's hands they feel so natural like in the poems that we've read in the past like i said earlier you've got in the same kind of page sometimes uh, a meditation on you know the atomic nature of the universe and then how like revolutionaries die and they become atoms or whatever mm-hmm. and uh god is kind of the force that binds it all together like uh that's all kind of in the mix and you see that here too in the quote that i was just reading like he's borrowing from sandino he's talking about what sandino thinks about the final judgment um he's borrowing from like uh the threat of nuclear war uh and he's also talking about like contemplative monasticism like there's so much kind of there that i guess if i try to talk about all that once i think i would just sound totally incoherent uh but with their when ernesto cardinal is talking about it it's like oh all of this actually does fit exactly the way that you're saying mm-hmm. yeah i think so um he's i mean talented with language that's for sure i mean his poetry is um <laughs> is evidence enough of that though yeah um cool well do you want to move on to maybe the next thing or should we talk about something yeah. different okay Cool. So the next thing that we pulled out here were some of Ernesto Cardinal's thoughts on class division in Christianity. And uh, I think these kind of stuck out to me because, um, well, I don't know, class divisions in Christianity are something that people don't like to talk about very often, <laughs> um, if if ever. Uh, I, have, uh, I, I have a colleague, well, former colleague, I guess, who always told me that, you know, Christians, they should always be um, you know, Christians anywhere in the world should always f- have some type of unity between them because they should have more in common because they're Christians than anything else. And boy, is that a weird idea um, because mm-hmm. uh, class divisions cut deeper than people's faith in Jesus most every time, um, or it skews the way that they, th- they think about Jesus, you know, explicitly. Um, so mm-hmm. Ernesto Cardinal has a lot to say about class divisions Um and there's also some some ideas here too that uh, that remind me of Herbert McCabe's uh, uh, Christianity or class war and Christian love. Um, but anyways, we'll talk about that maybe in a minute. So this is what Ernesto Cardinal says: It won't be a division like the division between Catholics and Protestants. I'm sorry. So Ernesto Cardinal is setting up that there's going to be this like new division in uh, Christianity, but it um, but he says that it won't be a division like the division between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, Cardinal goes on to say that is it won't be a break with the Pope and the Pope's authority. Theology is not in question, and neither is our loyalty to Rome's authority. Here, the division will be a political division, as great as the others, but for political reasons. Now there is a need to unite not only Catholics and Christians, but those of all faiths. Every day there is more unity. This is not a time for disunity. People already know about the importance of Christians in the revolution. We also have to talk about the participation of Muslims in the revolution, the integration of revolutionary Christians, revolutionary Muslims, and revolutionary Buddhists with Marxism. Fidel always said that Christians could be revolutionaries, that Christianity could be revolutionary, that the early Christians were revolutionaries. He had repeated this from the earliest speeches to today. He said it to me when we first spoke. He was ahead of all the theologians of liberation who later discovered that it was possible to be a Marxist and a Christian. Okay, so this is a really interesting, um, uh, I don't know, like prediction, but also not really much of a prediction because it's, you know, always kind of already happening. But anyways, uh, you know, he's foreseeing a division in the church, not one that's about theology uh, or the authority of Rome, whatever, but instead, um, you know, political, political division. And this is, 
I don't know, like spot on. Um, this is true. This is happening in the United States just as much as probably in Nicaragua or wherever, right? That there are extremely conservative Christians who uh, put their class interests before their Christian interests, before um, uh, an option, a preferential option for the poor or even a care for the poor. Um, uh, anyways, it, it, and but the idea here is that like, what, what do you do in the face of that? Like Christians have to come together of all uh, Christians have to come together, whether, you know, you're Catholic or not or whatever. Um, or even if you're a person of another faith and some other type of unity, um, the participation in a, a revolutionary project as people of faith. And I think that's really good. Um, the only way to combat sort of like, um, you know, class war in faith spaces is to pay attention to class. And uh, I don't know. It's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. It's a good thought. Yeah, I think that's right. It's like uh, the difference between calls for solidarity and calls for unity, I guess, are like different kinds of things. Um, Yeah, I like so much about what's going on here um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, for all the things you were just saying, right, the admitting that um, disunity does exist in a certain respect or like divisions are real uh, and those divisions are are along class lines and not just along ideas or something like that. Um, We should definitely talk more about that. Uh, What I think is also fascinating about it is... So Nicaragua was like the the hotbed for the development of what was called the People's Church. Um, And so people had suggested that basically the Sandinistas were trying to create something like a a Protestant Reformation within the church, which Ernesto Cardinal was really keen on saying is not the case. Uh, But what's so fascinating about it is, you know, like communists are always saying class war isn't something that like we get up and decide we want to participate in. It's just something that's happening and you either recognize that it's happening or not. Like you you don't ask for it. It's it's imposed. uh, And so you have to choose a side. Um, And I think that's what Cardinal is saying here, too. Right. Like they're not trying to create a division in the church. If anything, they they want people to rally around the right kind of unity. Um, It's just that the divisions do exist. And this was actually dramatized pretty significantly um, in 1983 when... uh, Pope John Paul II visited Nicaragua. Um, there's a pretty famous story of him uh, going to a, a huge public mass um, where there were like, well, I found this uh, Washington Post article where it says there were 350,000 people there um, who chanted while while he was giving his homily, uh, one church on the side of the poor and we want peace. And uh, they chanted it so much that uh, the Pope was forced to stop his homily and order silence or silencio because he was so pissed. Um, And like, (laughs) you know, yeah, it's a huge scene. And it's like it caused a a massive um, event, I guess, (laughs) in the church, um, as you might suspect. Uh, And it's one that kind of, I think, really formed Pope John Paul II. Uh, for the rest of that century even um but in in all of that what's so fascinating is like again you can see cardinal anticipating that these are divisions that are just happening in the church that you have to recognize or not you can't just say silencio and expect for them to go away because they don't (laughs) uh and i don't know it's just like a very um it's the kind of thing that you can say if you're formed by class struggle because you recognize that these kind of divisions happen all over the place and Christianity is just not immune to it. Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, the the sort of classic Marxist position that like class wars happening, whether or not, you know, you want to, whether or not you want to participate. And if, you know, if you know how to look at the situation, I suppose is, is a good one. Right. Like, um, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking of like my experience growing up in church where like no one would ever have even talked about the importance of class or, or whatever. Right. It's like completely something that uh, would get pushed under the rug or it's just like, you know, Jesus loves you, whether or not you're, whether you're rich or you're poor. But like the, the point of class struggle in church is that like, well, why are there people that are poor? <laughs> like, why is that right. something that you're even like allowing? Why is that even within the sort of like equation of, uh, of the community of church in the first place? So yeah, I don't know. The um, I I agree with the Nicaraguan people. Uh, church on the side of the poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think too, you know, it's like again, like the Pope could have just said, yeah, "Like you're right," and they all would have said, "That's great." <laughs> right? <laughs> like, um, it's it's not the case that they just like even wanted to topple the Vatican or something. Like Ernesto Cardinal is uh, heartbroken, and so is Fernando Cardinal heartbroken. 
um, over uh, the ultimatum that was eventually given to them by John Paul II of basically you have to uh, keep your post or take a break from being a priest, um, which is a pretty huge ultimatum to give somebody who's dedicated their life to both of these things. Um, you can read both of their reflections, Fernando and Ernesto, on it. They're really kind of difficult to read because they are so uh painful i guess um but the that's the worst part of it is like <laughs> like they said or like cardinal says um theology is not in question and neither is our loyalty to uh, rome's authority the division is a political division right and like if john paul ii wanted to be on the right side of that division the problem will be solved but he chose not to be so you know it's not just uh up to him to decide uh whether or not the divisions exist yeah totally i mean um, it's not just a Catholic problem either, <laughs> you know, go to, right. go to right. any Protestant church and, uh, it's the same, the same, the same thing. Um, go, ask your pastor, which side are they on? <laughs> what do they, what do they tell you? It'll be an interesting yeah. question. They'll invite yeah, you out for coffee. Be. Don't do that though. Don't let them trick you into it. <laughs> if the they... coffee invitation is the ultimate smoothing over of all difference. That's right. If you ask your pastor whether or not they're on the side of the poor and they say, well, let's have some coffee and talk about it. Go to a new church. Don't ever go back. <laughs> run as fast yeah, as you can you should say yeah you know what actually um why don't you come meet me at the picket line and we'll talk about it <laughs> yeah that's right go find a strike there's <laughs> there's tons of them they're every day you can find <laughs> one for sure um well that leads into uh another thing that we wanted to pull out and that i think is really important um that cardinal teaches us and and really embodies and that's basically that christianity isn't just a, a series of ideas or or platitudes or even moral codes but it's actually something that needs organizing like it needs some help um if you just go to the bible for everything you're going to be sorely disappointed you can come up with some weird ideas uh and in this book it's great uh christians of the nicaraguan revolution because so many other people in solentaname are interviewed and they talk quite a bit about ernesto cardinal and, and other priests too and i was really struck by this one passage from a guy named manuel who was part of the community where he says the most important thing we learned in our dialogues with ernesto was that the system had to be changed the only way forward was to take up arms to change the system. You couldn't do it any other way. If we waited for God to take Somoza away, it wouldn't happen. God put us here on earth to cultivate the land and organize ourselves. But God is not going to come and say, Here, I'm going to make this guy president, and when he's screwing you around, I'll take him away. No, it's people who have to organize themselves and the communities. Mm. And, I mean, what an insanely, like, I don't know, profound thing to have gifted a community of people uh with the idea that yes it's good that you get organized and god even wants you to do it um i don't know that really sticks with me as something that uh it would be good if people could say that about you somehow as a christian <laughs> down the line right that yeah. like this person taught me that uh god wants me to get organized yeah isn't it it's such an interesting like um well, okay, it's interesting to talk that way in light of sort of the current sort of political situation in the United States, um, which is obviously very different than Nicaragua. But um, to, okay, so in this formulation where Ernesto Cardinal is telling them that God wants them to, you know, get organized and <laughs> depose the government, that's like, um, it, you know, God is on the side of the poor, God acts through the the poor, God is like, you know, kind of like um, cooperating with uh, a certain group of people who have a certain amount of power in society. Um, but if you juxtapose that with like um, the ways that uh, the Christian right has, um, you know, done the exact opposite, it's like pretty bizarre um, if you think about it, because uh, so in, in the one you have God inside of the poor um, and Ernesto Cardinal is kind of pushing it that way. But on the other hand, we have all these like wild Christian right folks thinking of Donald Trump as sort of a um, divinely inspired, like David character or whatever, right? A, a shitty dude that is going to do great things for Christians. But it's just like this interesting way that, uh, I don't know, an alternate way, I guess you can think of God uh, present in sort of a, the political uh, the political moment. Um, I don't know, weird, mm -hmm. uh, weird thing that my brain did. <laughs> yeah i dig it it's good um i like it too because it cuts through the ideology of uh what else god is and isn't doing right like uh i love when manuel says uh god isn't gonna say uh here i'm gonna make this guy president and then when he's messing around like i'll take him away 
Uh, that's like not how it works. <laughs> and that's great because, you know, so many Christians do have the knee jerk assumption that like, well, the authorities are there because that's what God wants. Cause right. of like some strange passage in Romans or something. And, uh, you know, like Manuel is basically being like, you know, w- w- that would be absurd. Like it wouldn't make any sense, uh, to, to assume that God wants Somoza to be in power would be to assume that God is genuinely evil. You, you should oppose that God a hundred percent. Uh, like Somoza, <laughs> I mean, maybe people don't know, but like Somoza was bad. He was a bad man who did a lot of bad things. Uh, but just to give you one example that I use when I teach this in classes, sometimes, um, Somoza had like, uh, an owner, uh, he was like part owner of a company, that uh, took the plasma of poor Nicaraguans and sold it to blood banks in the United States. And uh, it's like you you couldn't get more on the nose with like a villainous vampire president than that. Um, And so to assume that God had divinely appointed somebody like Somoza to run the country and, you know, one day would just get rid of him would be to have an extremely horrifying and violent theology um and i like that manuel is basically like ernesto taught us that that's not how it works like (laughs) there's a different way to think about god and there's a different way to think about you know what we've got to do yeah totally well it's good to set that precedent though because otherwise i don't know like how else do you uh, like christian evangelicalism is so saturated in that like weird romans like god ordained the president kind of way of thinking that ernesto cardinal's intervention is important for uh them Mm -hmm. to hear (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Well, this is uh, along the same lines, uh, but a little bit of a different situation. So this is um, this is a quote from a whole different thing. But um, when we were talking about this passage before the show, uh, this this kind of stuck out in my brain. So in uh, 1986, uh, there is there was an interview with Ernesto Carnal and some uh, folks, three people whose names don't mean anything to me. So whatever. Um, in this, uh, they interviewed him, uh, in something called the Agni review. Again, not a significant publication, at least for me. Um, we found it in JSTOR. Thank you, JSTOR. Uh, anyways, <laughs> within this uh, interview, it's like really interesting. Um, Cardinal, uh, goes into like all of the different leftist parties that exist in Nicaragua at the time and how these, there are like these three different Marxist Leninist parties and one is sort of leaning towards Maoism and like, isn't that interesting? Whatever. But um, there is like this one question that one of the interviewers asked Cardinal that I thought was really funny, and Cardinal's response is even funnier. That it, it, <laughs> and it's worth getting into for a second. So, anyways, um, the interviewer asks, "You have said in another interview that for you, poetry is above all prophecy in the biblical sense of guidance. How would you guide your people now in the face of recent events in Nicaragua, such as the trade embargo?" What do you see in the future? <laughs> okay, so the question is well-meaning, right? Uh, biblical guidance. You're so wise. You're a poet. All these things. Uh, what was that biblical sense of guidance tell you to do in, in the face of a trade embargo? Um, and Cardinal <laughs> says this. For the moment, I still don't know what we should do in Nicaragua. The Bible's prophets are, <laughs> were never so specific about things this concrete. Uh, feeling that the prophecies they gave the people were ample guidance. In every concrete case, it is more difficult to launch into a prophecy because a mistaken prophecy may come about. Anyways, <laughs> this is this is funny because it's just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what do you do? The prophets never talked about trade embargoes. Isn't that bizarre? Um, <laughs> but you know, it's a it's a similar point though that um, Christianity gives you a lot of good motivations and a lot of sort of like orientations when it comes to ethics and to politics. But when it comes to trade embargoes, you need other things like. Marxism, Leninism, <laughs> or <laughs> or the Sandinistas, or you know, or or Mao, or whatever. Uh, you need uh, a sort of like different uh, a, a different toolbox um, when it comes to things like uh, trade embargoes. Yeah, yeah, I like to the idea that um, the prophets aren't so concrete, uh, thinking that the prophecy they give is kind of enough, like that's enough guidance that you need. It's it's suggestive more than it is predictive or something like that. Yeah, um, which is a a good way to read the Bible, but b a good way that Cardinal understands his own role, I feel. Uh, as a Christian person in the public eye there. Um, When you read through the Christians in the Nicaraguan Revolution book, you really see that come through as well. And I was struck by it. I mean, you know, we're reading the text 
uh, of a real life conversation. So who knows what it actually was like. But the impression that I just get, uh, the way that Ernesto talks and the others are talking, is Ernesto Cardinal often kind of takes a back seat and just lets other people talk for a long time. And then when someone eventually is like, Ernesto, what do you think about it? Then he'll speak. Uh, and usually he he speaks to kind of set something else up or, or like provide a new frame or something like that. But he's never he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who's like, uh, and this is just how it is. Or mm-hmm. he doesn't even have the kind of like Fidel level of like, <laughs> you know, adamant confidence or something. It's just kind of it's very gentle and very, uh, I don't know, like um very like he, he's trying to sort of coax things out of others um and i think that really speaks well to even that prophetic character you know so many people talk and i do too about uh the the prophetic spirit of the bible being this kind of intense commitment to justice and speaking the truth to power and all that and i think that's true and it's true of cardinal obviously um but this idea that prophecies are actually about just giving ample guidance like just enough to kind of know where you're going mm. i feel like cardinal really embodies that sort of thing yeah, definitely. Well, you know, he's all about that type of uh, he's all about that life of contemplation. So he's not going right. to be uh, quick to tell you the answers. You got to think about it. <laughs> it's all that Kentucky monastic training. <laughs> Kentucky, Kentucky monastic training has like just the right sort of like uh, sing songiness of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I really like that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Colonel Sanders, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Well, um, I don't know. What are the big takeaways about Ernesto Cardinal's life? He he lived a good one, a real a real long one. Uh, he did a, so he did so many things. Um, he instructed so many people. What do you think we should learn from him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I feel like I'm still trying to sort out exactly what Cardinal means to me. Um, for some reason, he just keeps getting bigger and bigger in my brain and in my life. You know, like, uh, I feel that he models so perfectly the kind of relationship between Marxism and Christianity that I feel resonates with my own kind of life story. Like, I didn't become a priest at 40 years old. I guess there's still time. <laughs> but uh, the idea that, like, Christ is the person who led him to Marx, that's like a quote that people often say. And I feel very much resonating with that. Um the idea that the world is really complicated, but you can sort of figure out how to hold all these things in tension. Like that modeling is something that I wish I was better at and would like to get better at. So I guess I have to read a lot of Cardinal to figure it out. You know, like um, I think that's what it is. Like he provides a, a model or some kind of aspirational um, disposition toward the world that I just can't really help but respect and sort of think that there's a lot to, to mine there, especially for Christians and Marxists both, right? Like Marxists trying to figure out how to engage Christians. Well, uh, you should definitely read Cardinal because uh, he did it, right? He, he earned a spot in the revolutionary government mm. and uh, vice versa. Like Christians trying to figure out how to engage Marxism, uh, Cardinal made his whole life basically trying to, to do that. Um, so I think just a, a person who has, has great thoughts and also has some material proof, uh, behind him, you know, some, some bona fides. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about you, Matt? Well, you, you took everything I was going to say and that's <laughs> fine. Um, no, I agree. I, I think Ernesto Cardinal is, he's, he's just our guy, you know, he's like the, uh, <laughs> he's the guy that's, that's doing all the things that we really like and who live this like wild life that is incredibly inspirational um gonna get a big Ernesto Cardinal tattoo it's gonna be great um <laughs> something I appreciate about Ernesto Cardinal is I think his way of like yeah just like mishmashing everything together and like making it seem so natural that it's completely just the way that it is um so I'm I'm thinking about this one poem that he has particularly that we read uh, back on the poetry arc, um, and uh, I can't remember exactly the name of it, but it's about seeing the letters FSLN on the side of a mm-hmm. on the side of a mm-hmm. hill, right? And he's thinking, um, you know, like about divine signs and like asking God to like you know sh- show him the way or show a miracle or whatever. And then he's like kind of like thinking about it himself. And it's like, holy shit, did we have a revolution here? (laughs) Did we actually win (laughs) that? And I think that's amazing because um, it is a way of like, yeah, I mean, doing a big mashup of of 
I don't know, of like of materialism, of like actually doing socialism in the world, but also thinking about it as a type of miracle, as a, a type of intervention. And, and, you know, the same type of intervention that um, that we were just talking about, too, with uh, Manuel, you know, like if you don't like the, you know, the the God doesn't put the president there. He puts you there to take the president out or whatever. And it's sort of a similar idea of thinking through um, sort of like God's bound upness with the world. Um you know, w- through through human sort of interaction with it, and like, um, uh, you know, the that's good. That's a really interesting way of thinking about the world. Uh, you know, thinking about like divine intervention and like God's plan for the world, or whatever, like other weird, cringy evangelical ways we have of talking about it, suck, and I hate it. And uh, I think that there's a type of like spiritual practice or way of thinking about um, about God and and sort of like the way God gets stuff done in the world in Ernesto Cardinal that I find really appealing and uh, helpful and interesting. Yeah. I like all that. Say so I didn't take everything. Nope. Not all of it. Just, <laughs> just that one big idea I had. <laughs> no, that's really good though. I, I totally agree. Um, well, I feel like, I don't know. There's so many ways to send Cardinal off. Um, I know that we've both been reading a lot of his own poetry after he died, uh, especially because he talks quite a lot about death. Um, and we, before the show, Matt and I were both looking through some of these poems and thinking, well, what's the best one to kind of send it off? And it's hard to choose because there's there's just so many great meditations that he has on death and what it is and, and what it isn't and how it relates to life. But uh, the one we settled on was a poem that's called In the Tomb of the Gorilla Fighter, which just felt like a, a good way to... Um, I don't know, have Ernesto Cardinal's words about somebody else maybe be about him for a minute. Um, Do you want to read it, Matt, or do you want me to? Uh, Yeah, I'll read it. In the Tomb of the Gorilla Fighter. I think of your body that has been falling apart beneath the earth, becoming soft dirt, humus once more. Together with the humus of all other humans who have existed or will exist on this small ball of the world, all of us together becoming the fertile earth of this planet Earth. And when the cosmonauts see this blue and pink ball in the black night, what they'll be seeing far away is your luminous tomb, your tomb and the tomb of everyone. And when extraterrestrials from some place see this point of light from the Earth, they'll be seeing your tomb. And one day it will be all tomb, silent tomb, and then there will no longer be any living being on this planet, Campanero. And afterwards, afterwards we'll fall apart more. We'll fly, atoms in the cosmos. And perhaps matter's eternal, brother. Without beginning or end, or it has an end and starts again each time. Your love surely has a beginning but has no end. And your atoms that were in the soil of Nicaragua. Your loving atoms that gave their life for love. You'll see, they'll be all light. I imagine your particles in the vastness of the cosmos like signs, like living posters. I don't know if I explain myself. What I know is that your name will never be forgotten, and that present will be shouted forever. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Uh, we also got a store on Redbubble where you can buy lots of stickers and t-shirts and, you know, maybe we'll even make something Cardinal related or maybe not. It's hard to say what we'll actually do. Um, <laughs> if you uh, can't support us in those ways, that's totally cool. Uh, capitalism sucks. We get it. Uh, you can also just leave us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever other podcast platform you might use. We'd really appreciate that, too. Um, cool. Well, the intro music is by Amari Armstrong, and the outro music, uh, as always, is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. I don't want to 
gonna get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord.